Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful. Two man car, Jesse and Ruben. And uh, we're bringing you uh, blessings from uh, this Easter. We are uh, Tuesday in the, in the week of Easter. And uh, just want to wish you all the, uh, the, the blessings that, with your family and friends and uh, continue growing in your, in your spiritual life. And uh, Jesse, we, we, good morning, first of all. How are you yep. doing? I am. I am. Uh, I just came back from receiving the medicine of immortality, Ruben, so I couldn't be better. I've got. I've got the Easter Jesus inside my soul right now. Amen. Amen. And you know what's what's uh, Ruben? When you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it it really changes everything. Nothing really ultimately matters. I mean, you die of cancer, you die of this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives meaning and purpose to suffering and even death. I mean, there's nothing. Everything at this point is just it's just like hey, another day in the park. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're right, Jess. And so we plug along, man. We're we're called to great for greatness, and we're we were born for greatness. So let's let's yeah go. You got it. Hey, by the way, I send you the, uh, the shows today. Got it. Okay. In your email, Ruben. The first thing we want to talk about is something that I think is more dangerous than we even understand right now. It's called the metaverse, and it's being uh, it's being manufactured by Mark Zuckerberg. I don't trust anything that the young man that young man's involved in. He's the guy that stole the elections. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the guy that, uh, uh, you know, cancels people in this, on Facebook if, he did, if they don't agree with what you say. Yeah. And now he's coming up with another thing called Metaverse to get people to enter into a world of unreality. Uh, so we'll talk about the implications. The article says this, Metaverse augmented reality pioneer warns it could be far worse than social media. In other words, Ruben, some people are calling this... Uh, they're calling this uh, the internet on steroids. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of frightening. Uh, I I just don't where it's, know where it's going to go, but I, you know, I can imagine. It it says if used improperly, the metaverse could be more divisive than social media, and an insidious threat to society and even reality itself. Here's three key takeaways. Then I'll turn it over to you, Ruben. It says social media. First takeaway. Social media manipulates our reality by filtering what we're allowed or not allowed to see. Two, we live in dangerous times because too many people use social media to disseminate untruths and promote division. Mm -hmm. Three, augmented reality and the metaverse have the potential to amplify these dangers to incomprehensible levels. Yeah. Let me throw a spiritual warfare bone in here. Uh, Many exorcists uh, in, in, in Los Angeles... During sessions, when the demon gives their name, uh, many exorcists have stated that the demon of Los Angeles, because Satan assigns a demon to every city, the demon of Los Angeles is called the demon of unreality. I'm going to say it again. The demon of Los Angeles has been identified as a demon of unreality. Well, guess what, Ruben? They're going to take this demonic influence of, the, of Los Angeles' demon mm-hmm. is going to be augmented throughout the world with metaverse. Wow, that's crazy. And um, and you know why LA is uh, is the way it is. It's 
you know, with Hollywood and, and there's just a lot of freaks out here, Jesse, and you know that having worked out here. Um, so anyway, the, the article goes on to say at its core, augmented reality, that's what AR stands for, augmented reality, and the metaverse, metaverse, and that's what Facebook is now calling themselves meta, are uh, media technologies that aim to present content in the most natural form possible but by seamlessly integrating simulated sights, sounds, and even feelings into our perception of the real world around us. This means AR more than any form of media today. It has the potential to, to alter our sense of reality, distorting how we interpret our direct daily uh, experiences. And in this augmented uh, world, simply walking down the street will become like a wild amalgamation of the physical and the virtual merge so convincingly that the boundaries will disappear in our minds. Our surroundings will become filled with persons, places, objects, and activities that don't actually exist. And yet they will seem deeply authentic to us. Hmm. Personally, the author says, I find this terrifying. This is because augmented reality, AR, will fundamentally change all aspects of society and not necessarily in a good way. I say this as someone who's been a champion of AR for a long time, the writer of this article says. In fact, my enthusiasm began 30 years ago before the phrase augmented reality had been coined. Back then, I was a principal investigator on a pioneering effort concluded at Air Force Research Laboratory with support from Stanford University and NASA. Known as Virtual Fixtures Project for the very first time, it enabled users to reach out and interact with a mixed reality of both real and virtual objects. So they've been playing with this for a while, Ruben. Mm -hmm. The early system employed a million dollars worth of equipment requiring users to climb into a large motor-driven exoskeleton and peer into a makeshift vision system that hung from the ceiling, all while they performed manual tasks in real labor, such as inserting pegs into holes of different sizes. At the same time, virtual objects were merged into the perception of the real workplace the goal being to assist users as they perform the complex task. The research was a success, showing that we could boost human performance by a over 100% when, co when combining the real and virtual into a single reality. Hmm. This is how they're going to justify this, uh, this, uh, this evil experiment, social experiment on mankind. They're going to say it's going to produce uh, you know, uh, work performance. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're gonna. You, we'll we'll see as the article go on goes on that we it's gonna it's gonna uh, they're gonna be able to to make it the way they want it, um, and uh, there's nothing you're gonna be able to do about it. Um, you could be in a world with uh, with people of like mind, you know, all these uh, transgender people running around, uh, the um, gender neutral um, people that are far left. And that's all you're going to see on there because that's that's how they started. it. Ruben, in my opinion, most of the AR is going to be used for sexual sin. Mark my word. Yeah, that's I was. Yeah, I was going to be because I I just read that you, uh, people watching pornography on the internet escalated uh, substantially in the last two years with the COVID lockdowns substantially, mm -hmm. uh, and so most people are going to use this AR to try to satisfy their disordered pa sexual passions. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, e but even more um, exciting was the reaction of a uh, human subjects after they tried that very first version of AR. Everyone climbed out of the system with big smiles, told 
And they told me, the author, without prompting how remarkable this experience was, not because it boosted their performance, but because it was magical to interact with virtual objects that felt like genuine additions to the physical world. He says, I was convinced that this technology would eventually be everywhere, splashing techno magic onto the world around us, impacting every domain from business and commerce to gaming and entertainment. And now 30 years later, I'm more convinced than ever that augmented reality will become central to all aspects of life, touching everything from how we work and play to how we communicate with each other. In fact, I'm convinced that it will happen this decade, and yes, it will be magical. But at the same time, I'm very concerned about the negative consequences, and it is not because I worry about bad actors hacking the technology or otherwise hacking our good intentions. No, I'm concerned about the legitimate uses of AR by the powerful platform providers that will control the infrastructure. So did you read hear that? The, the All aspects of life, touching everything from how we work, how, do, how we communicate with each other. Uh, yeah, so you could see that uh, that pornography could be used in this in a, in a big way because they, um, y- you're you're walking into now you have uh, you know lustful thoughts you have the um, y- you know you're this is you're going really deep into this is it's like yeah like you said like pornography and steroids Jesse and- Ruben and I'll tell you what's real dangerous about this twofold right there and that article you, you just read that paragraph about. About hacking, I'm seeing words. Yeah, yeah. I worry about bad actors hacking the technology, and uh, we also have another guy, a secular humanist, Yuval Harari, from uh, who's uh, Klaus Schwab's buddy, young, younger uh, Israeli scientist who's a homosexual. He says that it's time now to start hacking human brains with the internet. So you already have those uh, the World Economic Forum people talking about hacking human brains. Uh, and and now you have, uh, well, another thing drawn from my spiritual warfare training is that we know St. Thomas Aquinas says that demons have access to your emotions and your passions. And your passions or emotions are connected to your imagination and your memory. And so this is going to be, this is going to be a tool of Satan in a very big way because 90% of people are going to misuse this, Ruben. Mm-hmm. The article says... Let's face it, we find ourselves in a society where countless layers of technology exist between each of us in our daily lives, moderating our access to news and information, mediating our relationships with friends and family, filtering our impressions of products and services, and even influencing our acceptance of basic facts. We now live mediated lives, all of us depending more and more on the corporations that provide them and maintain the intervening layers, and when those layers are used to manipulate us, the industry does not know it as misuse, but as marketing. And this is not just being used to peddle products to disseminate untruths and promote social division. The fact is we now live in a dangerous times, and AR has the potential to amplify the dangers to levels we have never seen. <clears throat> Mark Zuckerberg, who's behind all this, he's the one that started Facebook. He, he's the first one that will cancel you if you say something uh, that they disagree with, his, uh, you know, yeah. his people disagree with. And so... Once again, Ruben, this is nothing more than the billionaires like Mark Zuckerberg trying to control our thoughts and our speech. Welcome to the brave new world. (laughs) Jesus 911, we'll be right back. Uh, Pick this up on the other side of the break. Now, 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. So we're here in Eastertide is uh as uh Dr. Peter Kwasniewski says is by far the richest in mystery. We might even say that Easter is the summit of the mystery of the sacred liturgy. And that's what we should be delving into, um, you know, and, and not this, uh, the, you know, the people should be falling back on their faith as opposed to trying to, trying to entertain themselves with um, new technologies that could be Ruben, used for, the, for horror. Yeah. Mm. Ruben, I think a lot of the reasons why people are falling into this misuse of technology is once again is because in, in, in the emptiness of the human heart, there's a search for God. There, there's this search for this otherworldly. And uh, if you don't find God, you're going to try to find the the supernatural in, in, in gadgets and in, in technology and things like metaverse. Yeah. So going on, to, the, the author says, that, imagine walking down the street in your hometown. And this is this is scary right here. Uh, casually glancing at people you pass on the sidewalk. It's much like today, except floating over the heads of every person you see are very big, glowing bubbles of information. Maybe the intention is innocent, allowing people to share their hobbies and interests with everyone around them. Now imagine that the third parties can inject their own content, possibly as a a paid filter layer that only certain people can see. And they use that layer to tag individuals with bold flashing words like alcoholic or immigrant or atheist or racist, or even less charged words like Democrat or Republican. Those who are tagged may not even know that others can see them that way. The virtual overlays could easily be designed to amplify political division, ostracize certain groups, even drive hatred and mistrust. And will this really make the world a better place? Or will it take the polarized and confrontational culture that has emerged online and spread across the real world? Ruben, this is not something that's going to happen in 10 years. It's something that they're working on right now, any day now. And they probably have the technology right now. They're just trying to perfect it. This is going to be affecting us in our lifetime. I figure you'd me have another 20, 25 years left. This is the fa- battle we're going to be fighting for our children and for our grandkids. Mm-hmm. We have to be like uh, those Israelites on, on, the, on the top of the walls in Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the watchmen, the watchmen of Israel. We just got, you and me, we have time on earth. We have age on our side and we have to just warn the next generation about the dangers of of this music misuse of technology because a lot of young people are going to buy into this hook line and sinker yeah as it is jesse there's a lot of guys that spend their time playing video games all even our age ruben even our age uh, uh, yeah okay yeah yeah it's yeah. so it's uh at some point man they gotta uh you know they got to take responsibility for their life and and quit living in in fantasy and and you know you're going to be you're going to be held accountable for that time. What did you do with it uh, with all the time I gave you? And and the the loved ones you could be sharing time, you know, spending time with and you're you're sitting there looking at a a screen and uh, and playing games. Um Ruben, I'm going to tell you why the the, the devil's so behind this entirely because the devil wants us to live in a world of illusions and fantasy. That's what he's all about. Yeah. He doesn't want us to live in reality. The reality of that there's death, judgment, heaven, and hell. That there's a holy God at the end of our life that's going to judge us at a particular judgment. That we either die in a state of grace or die in a state of mortal sin. The devil wants to, us to keep entertained with fantasies and illusions. He's completely behind this, and he uses idiots like Mark Zuckerberg. You know that I, you know, hope God touches his heart 
and uh, you know he converts and becomes a, a follower of Christ because this man right now is leading a lot of people in the wrong direction. Right. Yeah, the article says, now imagine you work behind the, the uh, retail counter. AR will change how you size up your customers. That's because personal data will float all around them, showing their tastes and interests, their spending habits, the type of car they drive, the size of their house, even their gross annual income. It would have been unthinkable decades ago to imagine corporations having access to such information, but these days we accept it as the price of being consumers in a digital world. Where they are, the personal information will follow us everywhere, mm -hmm. exposing our behaviors and reducing our privacy. Will this make the world a better place? I don't think so, and yet this is where we are headed. Look at this paragraph. Over the last decade, the abuse of technologies has made us all vulnerable to distortions and misinformation. From fake news and deep fakes to botnets and troll farms. These dangers are insidious, but at least we can turn off our phones or step away from our screens and have authentic real-world experiences face-to-face -face, that aren't filtered through corporate databases or manipulated by intelligent algorithms. With the rise of AR, this last bastion of reliable, of reliable reality could completely disappear. And when that happens, it will only exacerbate the social divisions that threaten us. Mm. Unbelievable, Jess. Um, and so you're so you're, you're saying, well, just think about it. Every time you download an app on your phone, that it, it it asks for permission to uh, you know accept cookies and um, or or um, you know if they can look through your your contacts or or your um, you know, what is it photos and all these things that. You, 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 a lot of people just go ahead and hit yes, and they they just, they want the app downloaded, and and they go, "What are cookies? What is that? Yeah, I, I want it, I want a cookie. Yeah, yeah. So then all this is have access to all that data that's on your phone, and you know your phone is, uh, it's it's a it's a high level computer. I mean, it, it, just in your cell phone, it, some of those early IBM uh, computers that came out, your phone just totally uh, has more more. Uh, you know, data, gigabytes, all that stuff. I'm, I know I'm not a techie, so, yeah. but, but still you, you have so much more power at, at the disposal on your, on your phone. So they get through and they start hacking your information. All that stuff is out there already. You know, um, everybody knows what your uh, credit scores are. Every, you know, these companies, they know this stuff. And so anyway, let's, uh, let's get on. He says, uh, after all the share experiences, uh, called civilized societies quickly eroding because, Largely because we each live in our own data bubble, everyone being fed customs, custom news and information and even lies tailored to their own personal beliefs. This reinforces our biases and entrenches our opinions. But today we can at least enter a public space and have some level of shared experience in a common reality. With AR, that will be lost. When you walk down the street in an augmented world, you will see a city filled with content that reinforces your personal views, deceiving you into believing that everyone thinks the way you do. When I walked down that same street, I could see vastly different content promoting inverse views that make me believe opposite things about the very same citizens of the very same town. And consider the tragedy of homelessness. There will be those who choose not to see this problem for political reasons. Their AR headsets generating virtual blinders, hiding soup kitchens and homeless shelters be behind virtual walls, much like construction sites are hidden in today's world. There will be others who choose not to see fertility clinics or gun stores or whatever else the prevailing political forces encourage them to reality block. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, consider the impact of the poorest members of society. If a family member cannot afford 
AR hardware, they will live in a world where critical content is completely invisible to them. Talk about disenfranchisement. And you can't ever leave the metaverse and know. You won't just take off your AR glasses or pop up your or pop out your contacts to avoid these problems. Why not? Because fast because faster than any of us can imagine, we will become thoroughly dependent on the virtual layers of information projected all around us. Mm. It will feel no more optional than internet access feels optional today. You won't unplug your AR system because doing so will make important aspects of your surroundings inaccessible to you. Wow. Putting you at a disadvantage socially, economically, and intellectually. The fact is, the technologies we adopt in the name of convenience remain optional, not when they are integrated into our lives as broadly as AR will be. Ruben, in that second sentence, it says, it says something that's, again, St. Thomas-like language. It says, we'll become thoroughly dependent on the virtual layers of information projected all around us. By the way, that's the way angels and demons communicate to people. They project information to our minds. It's interesting that AR will project information all around us. Same language used to describe angelic and demonic communication. Yeah. Just think of technology as it's come down the, the pike. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you had blow, when blow dryers were invented, you know, the, the women used to sit the, under those big things on on top of their head and sit there and getting their hair dry. Then they had blow dryers and, and then we had, you know, microwaves. And, and you can't even imagine your, your life without a microwave to, in today's world, you know, and because uh, everything's it's all fast, convenient, you know, and and same thing with the. Everything's changed in, in, in TV. We, you know, we used to record things on beta and, 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 um, what's the other one, you know, VHS and, yeah. and, and, and now, I mean, it went to DVD and now, you know, it's, it's just all stream. Everything's streamed now. So you, those things are obsolete. This, this uh, technology just keeps on moving. You know, they say that once, when technology comes out on the, um, on the floor when it's available to you, it's already out, outdated because they, they've got the next models already uh, moving ahead. So, yep. Don't get me wrong. AR has the power to enrich our lives in wonderful ways. I'm confident that AR will enable surgeons to perform faster and better construction workers, engineers, scientists, everybody young and old will benefit. I'm also con confident that AR will revolutionize entertainment and education and unleashing experiences that are not just engaging and informative, but thrilling and inspiring. Um, I could only see where it would be advantageous if you're watching a sporting event and you could put yourself right there on the field next to the players, you know. Yeah, like you feel you're on ringside at a big pay-per-view yeah. fight or something. Yeah. And so it says AR will also make us even more dependent on the insidious layers of technology that mediate our lives and the power brokers that control those layers. This will leave us increasingly susceptible to manipulations and distortions by those who can afford to pull the strings. If we're not careful now, AR could easily be used to fracture society, pushing us from our own information bubbles into our own custom realities, further entrenching our views and cementing our division, even when we are standing face-to-face -face with others in what feels like the public sphere. Being an optimist, I still believe AR can be a force for good, making the world a magical place and expanding what it means to be human, the author says. But to protect against the potential dangers, we need to proceed carefully and thoughtfully, anticipating the problems that could corrupt 
what should be an uplifting technology. If we've learned anything from the unexpected evils of social media, it is that good intentions are not enough to prevent systems from being deployed from serious structural problems. And once those structural problems are in place, it is extremely difficult to undo the damage. This means the proponents of AR need to get things right the first time. Yeah, the guy behind this is Mark Zuckerberg. I really trust this guy. This guy, uh, you know, paid for a stolen election. Uh, this guy uh, started Facebook, and he'll mm-hmm. he'll his uh, his algorithm uh, millennials will cancel your account or, or 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 suspend you if you post something that they disagree with. This is the guy that's behind this AR. I don't trust him as far as I can spit. This uh, there's another expert on this thing, Patrick Wood. He's he's an expert on technocracy and transhumanism. He says that. Uh, he says, quote, the problem comes in when you won't be able to distinguish between your reality and their reality. He says the metaverse is a gateway into transhumanism and that eventually along this path, glasses, goggles or other t- AR technology won't be needed as implantable devices, just as brain implants. Wow. So, yeah, this other guy says, Ruben, uh, yeah, this is the one step before transhumanism. Up next, Mark Wahlberg will talk about his movie. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. And uh, I was just laughing at this. Somebody posted a meme that uh, uh, he just said, gas prices at $4.19 a gallon, full tank at $135. Drive off without paying. Court date five twenty two twenty two. Fine is eighty dollars. A savings of fifty five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, yeah. Well, that that only applies if you're a leftist from Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Uh, you and me probably they they say, oh, uh, conservative Catholic. Lock them uh, up. Yeah. Lock them up. Lock them up. Uh, Jesse, when you know we had. We had some technology we were using back in the day at uh, we we called it Laser Village. We would go into this trailer and uh, a screen. It was a like a movie screen out there, and you you'd put on um, well, you'd be standing there with your with a gun. It's a replica Beretta with the laser had laser on it, so that uh, these scenarios would come at you, and it would look very re- very real. I mean, you're actually talking. You're supposed it's supposed it's like a shoot don't shoot scenarios. They they judge you on you know your um, your tactics and and, uh, and and the way you shot placement and you know whether you're hitting and, and missing and uh, whether you shot the right guy or not the right guy. But that's technology used in in for the good where you know you you're training to uh, for, of real life situations. Uh, but what we're seeing here with this uh, this AR, it's it looks like it's gonna just. They're gonna they're gonna create a whole new world for us the way they want to imagine it for everybody. You know, Ruben, I don't trust the people behind right. this. Period. The name Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. I you can't trust anything that this guy's involved in. He's a young liberal progressive that's in with all these globalists. He's part of the globalists. And again, uh, this other expert on on AR named Patrick Wood. Another article that I that I took a look at for the blaze.com he says that the problem comes he says uh 
that the metaverse as described is a gateway into transhumanism. In other words, somewhere down the line, they're going to say, wow, you guys like, you know, entering into this world of, of you know, where you can just uh, conjure up anything that you want by wearing these goggles or these glasses. Well, guess what? We don't need these goggles or these glasses no more. You want to live in a permanent AR world, in a permanent world where, again, you know, where, where you can have your own reality. Hey, we'll just plant a device into your brain. And this way you can tap into the metaverse through your brain. This is where Patrick Wood says they're going with this. They want to just train people to say, hey, you like this? You like these goggles and you like these glasses and the world that you could live in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Hey. Forget about these goggles and glasses. You could live in this world all the time. Okay, not just a couple hours or a couple of days. We'll just put a brain implant in you where you tap right into the metaverse. This is where this guy Patrick Wood says this is exactly the push from uh, Zuckerberg and all these globalists. Jeez. All right. How, how evil is that? It, it is. It's, it's horrible. It's, yeah, I can't even imagine this stuff. But um, hopefully, now, it's- let me make let me make a spiritual point, Ruben. Then we'll go on to the next topic. Yeah. I believe this is Jesse Ramirez speaking. Okay, that this technology could be used by the Antichrist for total control uh, and deception of the human population during a time of tribulation. For example, when the great persecution comes before the second coming of Christ, the Antichrist will tell people, "Don't worry, it's not that bad. Just tap into metaverse." And you'll be able to, you know, endure whatever is happening in the world. You know, this war, high gas prices, this, that, the other. Just go into metaverse and you'll be able to endure everything all around you that's happening. But this is going to be used by the Antichrist for total world control, domination, and deception. That's my opinion. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good take, Jess. Uh, we're going to get into Father Stuart Long. If, if you haven't heard of him yet, he's... he. Uh, he died. He was of, of Helena, Montana. He died on June 9th, uh, 2014. And his uh, a book was written about his life, and, and that book was turned into a screenplay but with Mark Wahlberg. And, um, have you watched Gibson. it, Ruben? I have not watched it. Uh, I have not I watched, watched it. it. I watched it over the weekend. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So you're going to be able to, to uh, relate to what the, this author is saying. We're going to be talking about an article here written by Austin Ruse. And... Uh, he he hated the movie. He says until it kind of made sense when it finally made sense to him, and um, so he said that he can't he cannot express h- how much he hated the movie Fathers Do, at least up to the point uh, where uh, to that point I really hated it. I he he emailed friends how much he hated it. He railed uh, at his wife and his children how much he hated it. He shouted down the hallway how much he hated it. Down the stairs. Uh, also, he, he says, I would have shouted from the rooftops if I had a way to had a way up. And then he thanked his guardian angel that my plan for watching it with neighbors and children were for technological reasons dashed. Did I tell you that I hated it up to the last <laughs> up to a point? Let me explain. And so he says that he noticed that the movie, uh, because they were adver- advertising everywhere or practically on Catholic websites, including um, LifeSite. This is where the article is from. We went to see the Tom Holland movie, Uncharted, recently. Don't bother seeing it, he says. And they showed the trailer for Father Stu. And my 16-year-old daughter turned to me and said something like, isn't that against the law? Meaning, how did Hollywood let such a Catholic movie get produced? We looked forward to seeing it. 
And that's true. I mean, you don't see Catholic movies anymore in Hollywood, but it's because of these, uh, you know, Mel Gibson and Mark Wahlberg are, are practicing Catholics that uh, it was able. And plus, Mark funded the movie by himself. So, you know. Yeah, that's that's like a, a, a no-no in Hollywood for an actor to fund their own movie, but nobody wanted to pick it up, and he just read the script, and he figured, now nah, this is the story that needs to be told. Yeah. Ruben, every one of us are on a are on a, the journey of conversion. Mel Gibson, yourself, myself, Mark Wahlberg. I know a lot of people are critics like Austin Roos. By the way, Austin Roos, he's, he's you know he's he's on the good side of the issues. Austin Roos is an American conservative political activist, journalist, author. He's a practicing Catholic. He's a president of the nonprofit uh, group called Center for Family and Human Rights. He's always fighting for our rights over in uh, uh, over in the United Nations. Uh, so this guy's a cat. He's a convert to the Catholic faith. He's a fighter. He's he's definitely one of the good guys. But as you, he wrote this article for his crisis, it got picked up by LifeSite and other news outlets. Essentially, what he says, and I don't I don't entirely agree with him. He says that there's a lot of bad words in the movie, a lot of uh, he says just a, a lot of just improper language. But at the end, there's redemption. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good description because I watched the movie over the weekend with Anita and, and that's a good description. Um, they're probably now. Now, I'll tell you why I'm not specific, you know, particularly, uh, you know, avert. I have no aversion to this. Number one, this is the world that we've grown up in, Ruben. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, you, How many F-bombs were thrown your way at uh, walking around the jails, Jeff? So. Yeah, the jails, the, the whatever assignment you work in, people yeah. you arrest. You and me have been gym rats for years. You know, you, you, you've you lived in a gym. That's been your second church. I spent at least 10 years in a, in, a, in boxing gyms and kickboxing gyms, training and sparring. This is a language that, I, that I'm used to hearing. Not that it's right. And by the way, I participate in that type of language up until my conversion when I just said, you know what, I'm either going to follow Jesus or I'm not. And that happened right in my mid-20s. By 26, I remember I'm saying, i got to change everything about me, even the way I, even the way I talk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when somebody cusses around me, I mean, my ears perk up. But I remember before my conversion, that was me. And so uh, this priest was probably like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sh- before his conversion. I mean, that's the way most of us are. Prior to our conversion, we don't have a filter in our mouth. And, and so I think Mark Wahlberg, more than anything, I don't. I think he did, and I'm kind of defending him, you know, I mean, I don't know him, so I got no dog in the fight here. I think that he just wanted to try to associate or attract or, or, or get the average Joe on the street to come and say, hey, Mark Wahlberg's doing a movie. I bet it's a Catholic movie, but it's Mark Wahlberg. Hey, I'll go check it out. He's kind of a bad boy. I think Mark Wahlberg, by, again, depicting probably the dark side of Father Stu before his conversion, I think his intention is to try to reach out to the unconverted. Not you and me, Ruben. We're converted. He doesn't have to sell us. He doesn't have to sell Jesus to us. We're all in. We're all in. Okay, we're 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 part of Team Jesus. But I think by by acting like again a, a ruffian, a drunken, foul mouth prior to his conversion. I think he wants to try to get those disenfranchised Catholics that are secular humanists 
to say, hey, I'll go watch the movie because it's Mark Wahlberg. And little by little, hook them into the movies. They'll feel comfortable. Say, ah, you know, vulgarity, F-bombs, mm-hmm. blasphemies. Yeah, I'm co- I like this. I like this. And then at the end, all I can tell you, because you haven't been to the movie either, is a powerful ending, bro. Of I mean, it's just about redemption and forgiveness. And so I sat through the whole movie kind of like, you know, cringing, you know, with the F-bombs and some of the other off-colored remarks that I haven't used in 30 years myself. But uh, I knew there was going to be a punchline, and there there definitely was a punchline at the end of the movie. And I think even this article, Austin Roos, he admits that he, at the end of the article, uh, he says, okay, now, now I get it. It makes sense. It makes sense to me. Hmm. Yeah, he he talked about some Catholic uh, illiteracy, you know, just uh maybe there could have been some better things the way like for instance Walbert gets uh baptized and he goes to the to classes that uh Carmen <laughs> teaches. Carmen's the girl he's after. And the cla- and the classes for little children and they have ashes on their heads so they know, you know, everybody knows it's Ash Wednesday and they're they're talking about what they are going to give up for Lent and then Walberg uh, says he's going to give up alcohol. Little boy says his dad has given up porn, and Wahlberg says that the boy's mom ought to give up sex because porn and sex are the same thing. It's like, uh, I don't know. That's just that's going on in the classroom, you know. Anyway, yeah, that 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 should not have got. See again, that's a script writer. Any Catholic who read the script should have, you know, whited that part out. Said, "Hey, Wahlberg, this is not Catholic here. This is." Yeah, and then Wahlberg pulls his shirt off in church to get baptized. You know, (laughs) (laughs) who does that? And he's all and he's all buffed and up. He puffed, yeah, and that's it. <laughs> exactly. They, they they said that uh, the Rosalind Ross, the the, uh, the the producer, she loves Wahlberg's body. That's probably why she had that put in there. Yeah, she's a young lady. She probably does. We'll we'll continue talking about the movie. We'll be right back. Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Two-man car on Jesus 911 on Soul Patrol, Jesse and Ruben. And uh, we're talking about Mark Wahlberg's uh, movie, Father Stu. And just I just, uh, wanted to tell the people about a little bit of Father Stu, um, unless, you, unless you want to finish that and we can... No, no, go ahead, Ruben. I, I just wanted to just say that uh, I don't expect much from Mark Wahlberg. He's an actor. He's not a theologian. Yeah. He's a, he's a, let's just say he's a recent, you know, he, he's a recent reconvert to the Catholic faith. He's come back to his faith. Remember, he's also come back into a modernist church, you know, full of abusive Novus Ordo liturgies. And so, again, he's, he's, his conscience is still being formed properly. Now, if if somebody would have gave me this script and said, "Hey, just can you read it?" I would have I would have uh redlined a whole bunch of stuff and said, "This doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. This is blasphemy. This is blasphemy." But again, nobody asked me to read the script. Uh and so I'm just going to give him credit. Uh I think he's in, I think in good faith he's trying to make a faith-based movie to reach out and show the power of forgiveness and redemption. Uh and yeah, he's going to take some shots, some criticism, like from us and Rus and others. But I think, I think all in all, God can take 
a, a movie like this and still bring out some redemption at the very end for people that go watch it. Go ahead, Ruben. Yeah, so this is taken from uh, his obituary. And, um, you know, it says that uh, as a toddler, he, he moved from uh, moved to Helena, his parents' hometown in Montana. The mountains literally rose up in the backyard and the family home on South Main and Stu. He loved his older siblings, other uh, neighborhood kids, and was always outside exploring trails and everything. And but he also he 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 grew up into a big young man, and he he was uh, a powerfully a powerful physique. He he uh, developed while wrestling and playing football for uh, his school, and he moved to uh, Carroll College. It's a, it's a Catholic school. Playing Saints football for two years, develop developing a passion for boxing in which he excelled. He won the 85 Golden Gloves heavyweight title for Montana and was runner-up in the 1986, the year he graduated from uh, Carroll, having earned a degree in English literature and writing a planned career as a prize fighter was nipped in the bud by reconstructive jaw surgery. So at his mom's suggestion, he moved to Los Angeles intent on breaking into the movies. And then, you know, he, he got in some bit parts. It was kind of seedy. He described it as kind of seedy and he, he didn't. Uh, he he moved away from there, but he took a job at, at uh, Norton Simon Museum in Pasadena. I know that place well. It's in Pasadena, um, and he he became a manager. And then he got in a motorcycle accident, Jess. And I don't know if that's depicted in the film. Yeah, but, yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, ultimately, it led to his baptism as a Roman Catholic, and so he could marry a beautiful young lady he loved. And but God had other plans for him, and. Um, but I, you know, I mean, I don't want to spoil the movie for everybody else. But he did have a he did have a uh, a medical condition that that kind of got diagnosed. That they removed a tumor in his hip, and then they finally uh, they discovered that it was. It's called. Uh, he was diagnosed with inclusion body myositis, an extremely rare autoimmune disease which mimics the symptoms of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and for which there is no cure. And so, you know, as you'll see in the movie, uh, I've seen the, the trailer, you know, he's he's using crutches and um, later on in his life. And, uh, you know, eventually that was uh, his downfall. But this is pretty cool, Jesse. He says that if Father Stu was a member of the Knights of Columbus and received much for support from his brother Knights. He loved the Curcio movement and participated in their activities at every opportunity. Wow. He brought a servant's heart to each and every minute of his ministry, his love increasing in power as physical strength declined. Father Stu became a beloved priest, confessor, and friend to countless people. He taught by example, willingly accepting the pain and weakness each day brought. Stu said it was the best thing that ever happened to him because it allowed him to shed the pride he had felt for most of his life. Father Stu will be missed, but his legacy of love and selflessness lives on in the hearts and the minds of all he served. And, uh, you know... He was uh, survived by, you know, his family, his parents and stuff. And But some of these people that wrote, uh, you know, they wrote things about him. I'll just read one of them. He says one of the people who commented on on, on, on the uh, website for his, like like a memory, They this guy's John and Sherry Stats says that they had the distinct honor of taking Father Stu to touch Mark the Waterford to do Mass for the residents for over two years. Father Stu was more than just a priest for us. He was a brother, a friend. With all the health challenges he faced, you never heard him complain. He always had a kind word for everybody. His sense of humor made you laugh so hard that you would cry. He inspired Catholics, non-Catholics. A void and sense of emptiness is going to be felt by many who he leaves behind. We know, however, he's at peace and his suffering is no more. Anyway, it's just comment after comment like that. 
about him. Uh, he was so he was a giant uh, when he left, and he he talks about that that humility because remember he he had a big strong body and and that's uh, that all diminished in his later years. So yeah, the Lord reduced him to nothing. And uh, you see, you see in the hospice in the movie, you have like long lines of people every day that <laughs> that are just going into confession. And there he is in his hos- in the hospice, uh, just listening to confessions for hours every single day. Uh, uh, you know, just apparently he had an incredible reputation for for compassion and wise counsel. And uh, that's, I mean, he he served the Lord even though his body completely failed him hearing people's confessions basically until the day he died. But I, I, I get Austin Roos's criticisms. Uh, you know, as practicing Catholics, you and I, we would look at some of the things with a red pen like a, you know, like a sergeant does to a rookie's police report, and we would have redlined, you know, some of the blasphemous statements, a lot of the F-bombs that were un- kind of gratuitous, uh, some of the off-color jokes. Uh, they didn't need to be there. But all in all, despite, you know, Mark Wahlberg's brokenness and just returning back to the Catholic Church the last couple of years, and again, still being, still a work in progress, he's still being formed in the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. I think all in all, I think the movie is going to be a, uh, it's going to be a, a force to reckon with to, to, to bring non-Catholics that would never watch a Catholic movie they would only watch a movie like this because of Mark Wahlberg. And there is a powerful message of forgiveness and redemption that that's to take. When you walk out of the theater, that's all you're going to remember. Mm. Yeah, well, well, Father Stu certainly used his suffering for the good. And uh, that's just a, a testimony to what our Lord and Savior can do with our sufferings. And we join it with his sufferings to save lives, to change lives, to, you know, um, do do penance for for yourself and others and so uh incredible and we have that at our disposal as well so well, sometimes we we get a hangnail oh my gosh i got a cut here i got i got an ingrown toenail i got so much pain well offer it up like your mom used to tell you <clears throat> because you know um the, the the days where people would put a rock in your shoe or they they um whip themselves and do other uh Wear a hair shirt. Hair shirt, yeah. This forms of austerity. It was. It's just. It's unheard of now nowadays. But <clears throat> unless we do penance, we shall perish, as it says in scripture. Right, Jess? <clears throat> That's right. And and I'll tell you, the theology of redemptive suffering. It's uh, there. All, we're all going to suffer. So you could a just uh, have Tourette syndrome and be angry all day as you're suffering and and your body's failing you. Or you can offer up your suffering every day as you wake up, as as a as, as a form of prayer to the Lord. And if you do that, Archbishop Fulton Sheen says that somebody who offers their suffering to Christ every day, he says, your suffering united to Jesus on the cross has infinite value. Why? Because it's united to Christ, mm. whose sufferings have infinite merit. Now, our sufferings, apart from Christ, guess what? They have no value, okay? You could just sit there and grind it out and say bad words all day. Your sufferings don't help you out or anybody else. Your sufferings only take on infinite value to help others as you offer them up to the Lord 
And that's why as Catholics, those three words, offer it up, should be part of our Catholic lexicon. Somebody emailed me the other day, said, just how do I offer it up? Simple. In the morning when you get up, in your morning offering, as you pray it from your heart, the morning offering is the prayer where you offer up your sufferings throughout the day to God. And so everything you do throughout the day after you do the morning offering becomes a prayer. All your sufferings throughout the day become a prayer. Look what the morning offering says. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world. I offer them for the intentions of your most sacred heart, the salvation of souls, the reparation for sin, the reunion of all Christians. I offer them for the intentions of our bishops and all the apostles of prayer. And in particular for those recommended by our Holy Father this month, amen. So, think about this. As you offer, when you intentionally say the morning offering every morning, every ache and pain throughout the day is now being offered to God as penance. And if you're in a state of grace, guess what? That penance is more meritorious in the sight of God. And let's not forget, as St. Maximilian Kolbe said, none of us are going to get away from suffering. He said there's three stages of life for the human person. The first stage of life is called the formation, your childhood. Second stage of life is called your apostolate, your vocation. The third stage of life is suffering, old age. (laughs) Embrace it. And offer it up to Jesus. Yep. And there's just the last couple of days waking up. Um, I feel every year of my age, Jesse. <laughs> and you feel you feel every weight that you've ever lifted, every squat you've ever done, right? Wow. Yeah. And it's taking a pat tail toll on my back and, you know, all these other other ailments. But, you know, just got to keep pushing through it and offering it up. Yeah. Our Lady of Fatima says... Pray, pray a great deal and make sacrifices for sinners for many souls go to hell because they have no one to pray and make sacrifices for them. Amen. Remember, our, through our suffering, we distribute graces to other people in the body of Christ. I'm going to say it again, especially you fathers and husbands. Through our sufferings, we distribute the grace of God to other people in the body of Christ. Ruben, take it away. All right. You've been listening to Jesus 911. Hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, stay tuned for Hands On Apologetics with Gary Bishuda from the Midwest Command Center. And I uh, guess, you know, Gary's always got some tremendous guests on and uh, you learn a ton from him. So uh, we'll see you. I'll see you back on Thursday and uh, continue uh, in, in uh, Easter week prayers your rosaries and um see you the next time just you'll be back tomorrow we are 10-7 we're out out